from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Well, hey, everybody. Hello, here we are. Welcome to another episode. Yeah, we are in an unusual situation this week where we recorded a podcast for you to be released today. On Friday. On Friday. Two day, it was three days ago. Uh, but now it's Monday morning. It's podcast release day, and we're recording again because we made a technical error. Well, that was generous for you to say we, Wendy. <laughs> well, we did. I didn't do what I should have done either. So, we, yeah, we made a mistake. I plugged the microphone cords into the wrong holes on our recorder. And when the podcast got to our editor, there was no... No podcast. No podcast. And it was a good episode, oh, too. Oh, bummer. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll try to revive that one sometime. But here we are today. Uh, so we get to record for you on the very day you're listening, which is kind of exciting in its own way. Yes. So it'll be a later release. Sorry, everybody. We try to get this out on Monday morning, but now it will be, God willing, we'll get it edited and posted this afternoon. Right. But we did, because it's Monday, we get to talk about... What happened yesterday? Right. We here in Pennsylvania, the Diocese of Harrisburg, got to go to Mass for the first time yesterday. Yeah. After all this crazy lockdown. Mm. But it was really weird. We had to wear masks and had to be far away from people. And yeah. it, it was strange. But it was good to be back. Really good to be back. For sure. Yeah. It was a blessing. It was just a sign of hope. We were all happy about it. Yeah, so shall I start with a yeah. question for you? Okay, um, this is a question from a listener named Christopher. What a good hey, name. Hey, good name. Yeah. Christopher says, my wife works for Planned Parenthood. Oh. I keep telling her oh, to dear. quit her job because it's the worst place on the planet to oh, work. Dear. How do I handle this? What should I do about her? Oh, dear. God bless you, Christopher. Gosh, what do you do for you? Well, this is a, a very sticky, tricky situation. We would have what you would call in technical terms here, at a minimum, material cooperation with an organization that is dedicated to uh, objectively horrific, immoral acts. So she should in no way be contributing to that. We don't have more of the situation. We don't know why she's working there. We don't know what her job is there. I don't know if she's an accountant there or if she's a technician or a nurse. Or, I mean, obviously, the worst of the worst would be if she is performing the abortions herself as a doctor. Uh, but even if she's an accountant for Planned Parenthood and not directly involved in performing the abortions, she would nonetheless be giving aid to an organization that is dedicated, again, to objectively horrible, immoral things. So, Christopher, all we, can, all we can really say is we'll be praying for you. Some demons, as Jesus said, can only be cast out through prayer and fasting. So, this is one of those situations where I think there, you know, and when I say some demons, I don't necessarily mean that your your wife is possessed by demons. That's not what I'm saying. But Jesus is saying there are some situations that demand prayer and fasting 
So that would be certainly a situation that I think prayer and fasting would be fitting for your wife. Uh, if she, It sounds like you've talked to her many times uh, already, and she's not really listening to the voice of reason there. So prayer and fasting would be what I'd recommend. Yeah, and I would just add that it sounds like the communication is not going very well, Christopher, with your wife. And I don't know if if you were to take your concerns to the Lord in prayer in a way of asking for the Lord to show you what's motivating your wife, maybe what things you yourself may have done or said to kind of create a, a stubbornness or an anger that, you know, could be contributing to a not receptive attitude on your wife's part. But we can certainly say you are right to not want your wife to work there and to be very concerned for her state of mind and heart and soul in that environment. But there's not simply the matter of stating, well, that's wrong, don't do it. In marriage and in parenting, there's always opportunities to look at what's what's behind it, you know, and what's What's her history? Is there some part of her story she hasn't shared with you or something about her that the Lord wants to reveal to you how specifically you can pray or how you can approach the situation differently? And and of course, we don't know that. And I certainly don't share that to say in any way that it's your fault for what she's doing, but only that if the Lord has you in her life in this way as her husband, He may want it to be an opportunity for you to minister to some kind of woundedness that would motivate or be in part, you know, responsible for this behavior. Christopher, I'd recommend one one more thing. I just pulled off my shelf a book by Abby Johnson called Unplanned, and here's the subtitle, The Dramatic True Story of a Former Planned Parenthood Leader's Eye-Opening Journey Across the Lifeline. So you're probably familiar with Abby Johnson's story. If you are not, it's even been turned into a movie. But she had she was working at Planned Parenthood and had a dramatic conversion, and this book tells that story. So you might want to read that book yourself and invite your wife to read it. I think that could be a very eye-opening experience for you. Our next question is from Megan. Hey, she, Megan. She says, I've been a follower of this podcast for a while now. One aspect I've appreciated is your appreciation for movies and songs, even ones that are pop culture and not seemingly religious at face value. I, too, find myself drawn into certain songs or movies and feel deep emotions toward them. However, I've noticed that I can be almost too engrossed in a compelling book or movie, particularly series such as Harry Potter or The Hunger Games, in which I feel a connection with the characters and their story and feel almost devastated when the series is over. I have to remind myself that these fantasy series aren't real. What insight do you have regarding my attachment to these stories? Megan, I love your question. I really do. I'm, I'm actually kind of excited to share with you a quote from Pope Benedict XVI that I hope will allow you to release yourself here and maybe give yourself some freedom to enjoy these stories as much as you do. That doesn't mean there isn't also a place for some caution. Anything good can become an idol in our lives. But I don't, from what you're saying in your question, that's not what I'm hearing. 
I'm hearing a sensitive heart that gets engrossed in stories, and that's a gift. That's what I want to tell you. It is a gift. So here's the quote from Pope Benedict XVI. He says, "We need." this is a paraphrase. I'm, I'm not remembering it verbatim, but this is the sentiment of it is truly his. He was giving an address at the beginning of a summer, I think. He was talking about summer vacations coming up and and what people do with their leisure time. And he was saying how necessary this is for the human person to have leisure. And he was recommending people read good stories. And he said, we need good stories in which to be engrossed, in which to, I, I forget exactly the phrasing, but it was something about we, we need good stories to help us step away from our busy lives, to help us enter into the lives of others, even if these characters are fictional characters. Uh, that's a good thing to get involved in the, the characters of, of stories. So, and he said that this is necessary for the human heart. So what I'm hearing you say, Megan, is that you have a real sensitivity here. And I want to tell you, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, again, watch, you know, if you're if you're living more in a fantasy life than in real life, like if you're so engrossed in these stories that you are not paying your bills or <laughs> neglecting responsibilities or not, you know, taking care of yourself in some way, well, that, that would be an imbalance. But I wouldn't beat yourself up for the fact that you have uh, this love of stories. Not only would I not beat myself up, I would recognize that this is a gift from the Lord, a sensitivity in your heart. It's a good thing to get caught up in the characters of good stories. So here, here's an example. Um, Wendy and I have been, because various friends have been saying we should do this, uh, we've been watching Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey. Which we didn't watch when it was you know, airing on television. We tried. No, well, didn't we? it was right at the same time. We did try it a, a while back, but and we didn't get into it. No, not at that time. But we were looking for something to watch, so we we've been watching Downton Abbey, and other than feeling jerked around too many times by the writer of this story, who will set you up and think this is going to happen, and then at the last minute that happens. That's fine every once in a while, but not every other episode. But anyway, that's a side point. <laughs> I. <laughs> I do find myself being very drawn into these characters. I, I want to know who they are. I want to know where this goes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. That's the sign of good good yeah, storytelling. I know. I know for me, like if it's a day when I think we're going to watch an episode, I think, oh, I'm going to see so-and-so yeah. tonight. Yeah, like, like they become real people. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so enjoy, Megan. Enjoy yeah. the stories you enjoy. It says something about your heart. And I would encourage you to just open that place in your heart to the Lord and say, Lord, what, what do you say about this? Why, why am I so drawn to this character or that character? All of that is like a sacrament of your heart, and the Lord can use it for great good in your life. I hope that helps. The next question is from Martina. Hi, Martina. Hello, Christopher and Wendy. I'm wow. reading TOB for beginners, but I'm very confused about something. Okay. You write, before sin, the human heart conformed totally to God's will. And also, in the beginning, man and woman were infused with grace. They were drunk on God's wine. I don't understand how we could have distrusted God's love for us when it seems we already had... Quote, the cookie in our hands. Hoping you can shed some light. 
thank you immensely for your ministry. Bless you, Martina. I can tell you're really taking what you're reading to heart. And the cookie reference, for those who haven't read TOB for Beginners or who may forget, the cookie reference is I, I talk about original sin, this is John Paul's language, as the questioning of the gift and ultimately the denial of the gift. And I tell the story of how, you know, we see this tendency to deny the gift even in little children. And then I tell the story of how when our oldest John Paul was a boy, I remember seeing this in him. He had finished his dinner and he said, Papa, can I have a a cookie? And of course, I'm your loving father. I, I want to give you this cookie as a gift. But every parent knows before you can even unwrap the darned Oreos what the little kid's going to do. He's going to grasp at it. He's going to reach out and try to take that cookie. And the first time I saw our son doing this, I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, my gosh. There it is. That's the denial of the gift. I said, John Paul, whoa. Your, pa- <laughs> your papa loves you. I want to give you this cookie as a gift. And if you trusted in your papa's love, you'd just put out your hand to receive this cookie as a gift and you wouldn't have to grasp at it. And then you'd very naturally, having received the cookie as a gift, which is a fulfillment of a desire in your heart, you would naturally want to say, thank you. Thank you for the gift. Well, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, Wendy just gave me a look. I was I was cueing Wendy to fill in the blank with a thank you. And it's apparently I did she, not know that was my line. Sorry, yeah. folks. <laughs> That's pretty funny, Wendy. Okay. Um, maybe you weren't paying, paying attention. I was. I just felt like it was sort of a pressured moment because it was all like tied into theology, and I didn't know what didn't the know correct what, theological well, th- yeah, response just, was. Thank you. Okay. Thank you is thank the response. You. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so anyways, that's the cookie reference. And Martina was saying... How could we question the gift when we already had the cookie? It's a very good question, Martina. How could we doubt God's love when we already had experienced it? That's another way to put her question. And I'm, I'm going to lean into this word that theologians love to lean into when they don't know exactly what to say. This one I might know. Wendy knows this one. It's a mystery. Mystery. (laughs) You got it. High five. All right. All right. All right. So Wendy got that one. So yeah, it's no, I, I, in all seriousness, this is not just a cop out for theologians like me. It is true. We, the the church calls original sin, the mystery of iniquity. Mm. And you are Martina right face to face with that mystery in your question. How could we possibly have denied God's love when we had that experience of it? Well, I can look at my own life and I can think of countless experiences of God's love where it has been shining in my life, where it has been known profoundly and very deeply in my life experience and still I see this inclination in my heart to question, to doubt. Now, rightly so, we could make the argument there that, yes, but you have the inclination already because you've inherited the fall. You've inherited the fallen condition, and that's our fallen condition is to doubt. But they didn't have that in the beginning. They were not inclined to doubt. So one of the questions here is, when does that inclination enter in? 
And I think there's a little clue in the story of Genesis that sometimes, or maybe oftentimes, we overlook. And it's this. So the serpent comes to the woman, and, and let's remember, of course, the symbolic truth of all of this. We're not, as Catholics, we don't believe there was a talking snake and some fruit tree that was the, the, the cause of our demise, right? Those are all deep and profound symbols. So we have to read the symbolism here. So the serpent approaches the woman and says, did God really say not to eat from that tree? And Eve's response is very interesting. She says, God did say not to eat from that tree. In fact, not to touch it, lest we die. Now, this is interesting because God didn't say you couldn't touch it. He just said you couldn't eat it. They could have smelled it. They could have picked it. They could have played catch with it. God just said, don't eat it. But Eve adds this additional law that God had not given. Don't even touch it. That itself, the multiplication of laws, put it this way, the multiplication of laws is always an indication of a disorder of the heart. So the fact that Eve is multiplying the laws, the commandments of the Lord, is an indication that something is already off in her heart. She's needing an added guardrail, if you will. She's already tempted to eat it. She's already intrigued at the thought of eating it. So she's thinking, oh gosh, I can't even touch it. So think of it this way. In the beginning, there were two commandments. Be fruitful and don't eat the fruit. Then that became the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments, those added commandments, which the Lord gave, but the Lord gave them because our hearts were now disordered. So over the history of Israel, Israel would multiply the Ten Commandments into over 600 commandments or laws that entered into the most minute and obscure details of human life, like how to shave your sideburns. So what is that an indication of? This is an indication of the multiplication of laws, again, is an indication of the disorder of the heart. The gospel, Christ comes and gives us one new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. So you see the order here is we start with be fruitful, don't eat the fruit, becomes 10, becomes 600, then Jesus gives us the one commandment, love one another as I have loved you. So Martina, all of this is to say sin is a mystery, but beware the multiplication of laws. And let's let's look at the laws that we still need in our lives because that is an indication of where we need to grow in holiness. If you are wondering, where, where do I need to grow in holiness? All you need to do is ask yourself this question, what laws do I still need? Because the goal, the goal of the Christian life here is not just obedience to the laws. The goal of the Christian life, as St. Paul says here, is that we would be free from the law, mm. not free to break the law, but free to fulfill the law because we no longer desire to break it. That's the freedom for which Christ has set us 
free. So the laws are good. The commandments of the Lord are good, are holy, are righteous, are true. But I I think this is also important if I can add this. We tend to think of the Ten Commandments as something altogether beautiful and positive, but they're really guardrails to corral a disordered heart. Mm -hmm. The, The commandments are meant to protect the covenant. But, but think of it this way, Wendy, if you and I, when we got married, we, we had to like put on our bedroom wall or maybe on the mirror in the bathroom, <laughs> you know, first commandment, be faithful to me. Thou shalt not have affairs with other people. That's, you know, I am the Lord, your God. Yeah. You know, you shall have no other God beside right. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am your husband. You shall no, have no husband beside me. You know, thou shalt not beat me up. Thou shalt not kill me. Thou shalt not cheat on me. We tend to look at the Ten Commandments as something to strive for, but they're really the baseline under which we should not fall, Mm. right? We we are called to so much more than just the following of commandments. Mm -hmm. We are called to a radical inner transformation. We are called to the freedom for which Christ has set us free. So, Martina is all contained in your question, I believe, are themes such as these, you know, the, the, the human heart and the, the role of the law and how do we love the Lord and in the experience of the love of the Lord, how do we, uh, why is it that we still fall away from it? I, I hope some of the things I've been saying have put a light on your question. Yeah. I'm not I, so sure that they have, but I hope they have. <laughs> I think your early observation about how, first of all, that the reading of this story kind of prompted a response in Martina and probably many of the other listeners as well that says, why? Oh, why? Why did you do it? Why? And I I think there's, there's a grieving there over our fall, you know, that is kind of, is entering into the Lord's heart for all of us. There is a grief over our fall and that the risk God took in giving us the power to sin and the pain of the betrayal, you know, that that he wasn't trusted in his all good, all lovingness is, I, I think it's a beautiful thing and something that could lead to fruitful prayer, can lead to growth and holiness in each of our own lives when we see the effects of sin, not to just think, oh yeah, I'm fallen, oh yeah, but to have that heart of the Lord that you gave me freedom so that I could love, Mm. not so that I could distrust you, not so that I could sin, but so that I could love. Lord, please change my heart continually, you know, asking for that deeper conversion and especially a deeper trust in the goodness of our Father, I think is, you know, a beautiful theme for prayer when we've been reflecting on the book of Genesis, that pain of inheriting that distrust in God's goodness. Um, I think that's... Martino, after all the technical things I said in response to your question, I hope what remains with you is what my wife just spoke straight from her heart, which is your freedom is still intact and we can use our freedom to say yes. Uh, Our freedom has been wounded by original sin, but it has not been eradicated. 
our freedom remains. And every day we can learn to give our yes, even though we have this inheritance of the no to God. We have to wrestle with that. We have to wrestle with our doubts. But we can overcome those doubts by God's grace and learn how to give a beautiful yes, a yes that changes the world. Martina, I'll share this. You may have heard me say this on a previous podcast, but it's true and bears repeating. One woman's yes changed the whole universe. And our yes can do the same when we give it. And we have a, a, while I'm bringing up the Blessed Mother here, I'll just add this. We have a faulty notion of Mary uh, because she did not inherit the original sin She was spared that by a a sheer grace that we call the Immaculate Conception. Mary did need a Savior, but she was saved in advance, as the church says, saved in advance. The work of redemption was applied to her from the very moment of conception. So she did not have the inclination to sin. But that does not mean her yes was any easier. Mary had to face all the temptations that The first woman faced in denying God. Mary had to face the same accusations about the character and heart of God that the first Eve faced. Mm. But Eve caved into those temptations in that mischaracterization of God. God doesn't love you. He's not out for your best interest. He doesn't want your happiness. See, your happiness lies in that tree and God said you couldn't eat it. So, he doesn't want your happiness. Mary, the new Eve, had to face all those same accusations about the character of God, and she had to overcome them. Her faith was not easy. Her faith was a struggle, but she, she never caved for that temptation. She never caved into that temptation, and she gave her full yes. So, Let's turn to Mary, the woman who faced all the temptations that the first woman faced, and let's ask Mary to teach us how to say yes rather than to cave to those temptations. Mm. Would you lead us in a prayer, love? Absolutely. Mama Mary, we, your children, come to you. You know our hearts because You're so close to Jesus, and because you've lived this life, walked the path on earth, faced the temptations, and known suffering so deep. So we know we are safe in coming to you and asking you to strengthen us, to use our freedom in ways that give glory to our Creator who gave us this freedom, this power to love. Please, Mary, help us to come to Jesus in all our need, trusting in him to heal us, to forgive us, to fill us with graces anew. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you to Christopher and Megan and Martina today for your questions. Please keep the questions coming. Go to askchristopherwest.com to submit a question to our podcast. We would be happy to address it, God willing. We get more questions than we can answer on the air but just keep them coming because we we love that steady stream of questions and uh, just a couple things to let you guys know about this coming weekend there is a Catholic marriage summit Wendy and I are giving a presentation at that along with several other 
Catholic couples that you will recognize. You can check the link in the show notes to learn more about that Catholic Marriage Summit online. It's free to register. Again, click the link to learn more. And also this weekend, I'm giving a talk at another online conference. This is called the Eucharistic Conference from June 12th to the 14th. The Marriage Summit is June 11th to the 13th. Eucharistic Conference, June 12th to the 14th. So click the links to learn more about that. Mm -hmm. Remember, as always, you are an indispensable, unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes.